This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. This summer on Sunday mornings here at Mill City, we're going to be uh, studying through some of Jesus' parables in the Gospels. And uh, you're going to hear from me, but you're also going to hear from some special guests throughout the summer as well. Looking forward to hosting a few uh, uh, friends of mine and, and to hear some different voices here at Mill City this summer. Uh, but we're going to make our way through 12 different parables of Jesus between now and the end of August. And uh, if you have any experience in the Christian faith, I, I would probably guess that you've read some of Jesus' parables uh, sometimes we read Jesus' parables and we don't really know what to do with them. Other times it's just very clear. And so this morning as we do dive into Matthew 13, before we get there, let me just share a couple of truths regarding parables and some fa- lay some foundations for understanding parables. Because if we're not careful, we can make some mistakes in, in interpreting Jesus' parables and trying to figure out what exactly they are saying to us. And so you'll see this in your notes if you'll go ahead and pick up your notes and follow along with us today. A parable is less like an allegory. It's less like an allegory. So if you think about uh, allegories like the tortoise and the hare, a lot of times what we want to do is it, when we read those, then every specific character is related to something in current day. It's meant to give a lesson. It's a part of the story. It's a part of the uh, it's a part of the didactic reason for writing the allegory. And if we're not careful, we can address parables and try to interpret them the exact same way. And so every time we read a parable, we're trying to find out what this word really means and what this word means and what this part of the story is trying to teach us, what this part of the story is trying to teach us. And that, if we're not careful, we can over-interpret the parables. But because parables are not allegories, Jesus is not trying to uh, speak to us in code. There are often times we we get into the Bible and we're trying to decipher what's the code here where he's trying to get at. And we almost like make ourselves like this letter equals this and this word equals this. We'll get ourselves in trouble if we're going to interpret parables like that. So a parable is less like an allegory. A parable is more like an analogy. Most parables are what we would know as extended metaphors or similes. What Jesus is ultimately doing in the parables is this. He's taking the every day and using it to teach eternity. He's using the things of the world, the systems, the seasons, um, illustrations that we're very familiar with, to drive home a spiritual point. And and most of the time when you read the parables, there's one big overarching idea that he's trying to get at. And see, if you go into the weeds too much, you can miss the big point of the parable. And so we want to be careful that we interpret them correctly, but we don't want to over-interpret them. Now, when you look at Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is going to give us the parable of the sower. And that's what we're going to look at in detail this morning. But when you look in the middle, so if you look at your Bible, most Bibles are going to be broken up by paragraph headings. Is your Bible broken up that way? Probably. If you look at verses 1 through 8, uh, sorry, 1 through 9, he's going to give us the parable of the sower. And then when you look in verses 18 through 23, he's going to interpret the parable of the sower for us. Now, he doesn't do this in every one of his parables. 
But he does it with the parable of the sower, so he's done a lot of the hard work for us in interpreting Matthew 13. But then if you look at verses 11 through 17, there is this little interjection here. And Jesus gives us an explanation of why he teaches in parables. And I want you to see two other truths here about parables as we dive into them. Because here we get to find the spiritual purpose of why Jesus spoke in parables. And the first reason is this. Jesus speaks in parables to further harden hearts. Read the text with me. In verse 11, Jesus answered the disciples, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. For this people's heart has grown dull, and what their, with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. What Jesus seems to be telling us is that one of the reasons why he speaks in parables is because for those who are hardened, for those who are far away from the gospel, for those who do not believe, whenever he gives these illustrations, when he gives these analogies, when he speaks in this, these parables, what it does is rather than helping them to understand better and come closer to the gospel, it actually further hardens them. And perhaps there are people in your own life that you've tried to explain the gospel to. You've tried to explain the word of God to. And the more illustrations you give them, or the more metaphors that you give them, the further and further they get from understanding the truth. And you start understanding a little bit of what Jesus is getting at here. And so sometimes Jesus, when he speaks in parables, by doing so, he is further hardening hearts away from him. But then another... The, the, the opposite is also true. Jesus also speaks in parables to further draw hearts. Look at the contrast. In verse 16, there's that great theological word, but. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You see, there are other people that when reading the word to them, when explaining the gospel to them, and you give illustration, you give analogy, you give a parable, a metaphor to them, what it does is it actually draws them in closer. It helps them understand it more deeply. And they are more willing to receive it. They more readily to understand it. And so what I want you to see is that the word of God ultimately is going to have an opposite effect on different types of people. For some and further explaining it, it's going to harden them even further. And for others, what it's going to do is it's going to soften them any more, even more. And it's going to draw their hearts closer and closer to the Father. One commentator says this about parables. He says that they are designed to capture the listener and make him a participant, overturning his worldview and leading him to call and question his most basic values. In other words, what Jesus is doing is he's saying, 
I want to put you in the shoes of this person I'm talking about. I want you to get into the story. I want to talk to your heart. I want to speak to your heart this morning. Here's the big central truth as we get ready to, le- to read the parable of the sower this morning. Is that God's word receives different responses from different people. God's word receives different responses from different people. Sometimes we are a very simplistic people. And that's good in some ways and it can be challenging to us in other ways. And sometimes what our simplicity of understanding spiritual things does to us is that we look at the world and we see 7 billion people in the world and we automatically assume that God is drawing and God is speaking to every single person equally. And a lot of that stems from our Western senses of equality and democracy in our own country. And this sense of equality can lead us to think that somehow God just has equity in drawing people to himself. But what Jesus is going to show us through this parable is that there are many different responses from many different people. There's not just one type of heart. There's not just one type of soil. Now, of the five major discourses of Jesus in Matthew's gospel, there are five. This is the only one addressed to the crowds at large and not to the disciples alone. So do the math. Five big discourses in Matthew's gospel. Four of them are spoken by Jesus to his followers. Those who were following him. Those who were softened towards the things of him. But this is the one discourse as we go through some of these parables where Jesus is speaking to the crowds at large. And so chapter 13, verse 1 says this. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear... Let him hear. Now, if we just stop reading the text right here, I don't know about you, but if this is all we had to go on here, I would be left scratching my head. I mean, was Jesus just very much pro-horticulture? Did Jesus just love gardening? Did Jesus just have a really good green thumb and he couldn't stop talking about his hobby? I mean, we don't have a lot to go on here, right? But thankfully, what Matthew records is that Jesus went on to explain the parable of the sower to us. And so if you go on down to verse 18, this is what Jesus says. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy... Yet he has no root in himself, 
but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Ever since Mill City Church's inception, it has been my heart's desire to lead you as a congregation, to lead us as a family of faith, to be a sending church. You can say, well, Chris, isn't, isn't every church a, a sending church? Well, I would hope so, but, but it takes some intentionality, and it takes some planning, and it, and it, takes, it takes vision, and it, it takes hard work to really be a sending church. And what we mean by a sending church is that, that we would be a place that would work this campus, these campuses in greater Lowell, and invest in students and young adults and, and raise up a faith family here who would not just collect resources and not just be a good faith family here, but we would literally see our existence and one of the meanings of our existence to send out other gospel workers, not only here in New England, but also around the globe. And so over the years, what that has led us to do is it's led us to send out gospel workers to the country of China. It, it is it has caused us to send out a gospel-believing couple to India. It has caused us to send out a gospel-believing couple to Scotland. It has caused us here locally to send out a, a single woman to Worcester, to work campuses in Worcester, and to send out another couple to Boston on the campus of MIT. And, and this summer, we're going to be sending out another young man, a single guy named T.J. Chestnut, to work the campus of Framingham State. And what I hope that you see at Mill City Church is that there is this pattern of sending out some of our strongest workers. I mean, it would be great to have a lot of those workers still under our roof and our faith family. Wouldn't it be great to have those resources still under our roof and a part of us? It'd be great. But as J.D. Greer reminds us, that a strong church should not be known for its seating capacity, but for its sending capacity. And so what's going to happen with a sending church is oftentimes we are losing some of our best gospel workers. And it's for the sake of the kingdom. It's for the sake of expansion. It's for the sake of multiplication. Later this month, we're going to be sending a team of eight, uh, eight young women to go to Scotland to work with the Schwartzes, whom we've sent out from here, to help them in their mission there. Also, at the end of this month, we're going to be sending out another group of people, another team of our faith family, to work the Arabic Children's Conference in, at, for their VBS uh, during 4th of July weekend. And so what's going to happen that weekend, because we're sending out two teams, it's going to be a lot less of a crowd here. But it's because of our sending capacity and not our seating capacity. And why in the world am I talking about that? Because here's the reality. If we're going to be sending out mission teams and we're going to be sending out gospel workers and we're going to be sending out ourselves into our, into our workplaces, our homes and our families, we need to know 
whom we're dealing with when we go out. We need to know the types of heart that we're encountering. And that's what Jesus is ultimately giving us here in the parable of the sower. What Jesus is seeming to do is he is dividing all of humanity into two overarching categories of people. With four different types of hearts. Or to put ourselves in the parable, soils. And these soils are going to be the types of soils to receive or to reject His Word. The first category is going to include three different types of hearts or soil types. And the second category is going to include one heart or one type of soil. And these soil types is going to describe the way in which the Word of God can or cannot grow in that heart. So, here we go in our notes. The first big category that Jesus is going to give us here is that many people, many people are going to receive the word fruitlessly. They're going to receive the word fruitlessly. We'll talk about this more as we get towards the end, but what we're going to find is more people are going to receive the word fruitlessly than fruitfully in Jesus' parable. And there are going to be three different types of hearts that he's going to explain here. Number one, some people receive the word fruitlessly from a hardened heart. Some people are going to receive the word fruitlessly from a hardened heart. Verse 4, that's what he says. As the sower went out to sow, he sowed. Some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. It's a feast. It's a buffet. You spill seeds, you're going to attract the birds. The birds are going to eat them. And in verse 18, Jesus is going to explain this. He says, when, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Maybe they're resistant or hostile. They want nothing to do with the word. Do you have friends or relatives who would fall into that category? Maybe they're ignorant. They just don't understand what's being told to them. Or perhaps they're obstinate. They are just forcefully pushing it away, saying that their way is better. Regardless, the word is taught, the word is heard, And then what happens is the enemy comes and immediately steals it away from their heart and their memory before it penetrates deeply into their souls to bring about conviction. They have a hardened heart. It would be like dropping seed today on the concrete and putting water on it and expecting it to grow. Many people receive the word fruitlessly from a hardened heart. Others receive the word fruitlessly from a shallow heart. Look at verses 5 and 6. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up. And, they had, and since they had no depth of soil, but, uh, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. And then if you go over to verse 20, he's going to explain that. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. 
And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. This is someone who hears the word and they're very much enticed by the word. They're very sympathetic towards the word. They like what they're hearing. This is someone who may say, yeah, I've been wanting to turn my life around. I've been wanting to get into church or to get my kids into church. They may even agree to read the Bible with you. And, and for a season, they will meet with you on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. They may even join your community group for a time. They start coming to cookouts and game nights at your house. And you're just rejoicing because things seem to be going so well. But then the pressures of commitment hit them. And the reality of life starts hitting them and they realize that their life was much easier and had a lot, much more, had a lot more free time before they started attaching themselves to this. And, and they start becoming a little more flaky. That they start not showing up to things. And then because it's become a, a little bit easier for them to not show up to things, then they start just not coming all together. And before you know it, they're nowhere to be found. Or persecution may come. Parents may question their new interest. Old friends come calling again. And former sins become more enticing than their newfound love for Jesus. And what happens, regardless of what the circumstances are, they bolt. These folks have sought to conform to some form of religion, but without its power. Like Paul talks about in 2 Timothy chapter 3. In other words, they've believed and they have received in a human way, in an intellectual way, or an emotional way, with no involvement of the Holy Spirit to give depth of belief, depth of faith, and fervency. It is like planting a flower. Like I, Everything I know from planting flowers and trees comes from my grandma. And she was good at this. And I don't know everything about horticulture. I, I live in a, in a townhouse development, so I don't have to do much landscaping. I, I can plant a few things, and I do a little bit. But, but here's what I know. So you, I can dumb it down to this. You have to have good soil. You have to have fertilizer. You have to have water. And you have to have the sun. Those four ingredients, if those four things are happening, then more often than not, you're going to have a beautiful flower. More often than not, you're going to have a growing tree. But here's what I know. If you take a thriving geranium from a pot that has wonderful water-saturated soil and maybe even a little bit of miracle Grow. And you rip the geranium out and then you go and transplant it into a bucket of sand. The geranium will last for a little while. But the key word in that phrase is little. It's not going to grow for long. And it's not going to thrive for long because it does not have good soil. and It has no depth where the roots can take hold. And this is the picture of someone with a shallow heart. Sure, they have a simple faith. Sure, they have an empty believism. But it can't last because the soil is rocky. The soil is sandy. 
And there's no fertilizer and light from the Holy Spirit to give that plant root and life. So some people receive the word fruitlessly from a shallow heart. And then lastly, Jesus is going to give us one more fruitless heart. And he says that some are going to receive the word from a divided heart. Look at verse 7. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And if you go over to verse 22, he's going to tell us that what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Jesus says that the deceitfulness of wealth choked the word or choked the seed. This person doesn't receive the word with joy, but he's also not hostile to it. He's just simply torn, right? The message might sound good to him, but the world sounds better. It might be a girl. It might be a boy. It could be a job. It can be controlled substances. It might be sex. It could be wealth or a group of friends. It could be a social network. Whatever it is, there is something in that person's life. There, there are some things maybe in that person's life where they say those things are far better than the kingdom. And what happens is those things, and quite oftentimes they can be very good things, they choke the seed. The thorns keep that seed from growing because things that even the world tells us are very good, fruitful and right that we should pursue, and some of them actually are. We make those good things ultimate things and it causes us to miss the most important thing. I experience this all the time, especially when I'm on campus with students. Because you will make challenges to them. You will put forth opportunities towards them. And the common phrase could be, well, maybe next semester. Or maybe next year. Or, you know, I, I believe this and, and I do have a faith. And, but I'll take this much more seriously after I graduate and I settle down with my family. Perhaps you have people in your family or people at your job where it's been a very common response. I, the danger in this reaction is the subtlety of the danger. Is because the things of the moment seem so right. The excuses seem so legitimate. D.A. Carson, who is one of the best theologians in our day, rightly says this, These thorns are so subtle that one may not even be aware of the choking that's going on. But regardless, thorns are choking the seed of the word. I personally believe that this is where a majority of people in the United States of America fall. And here's why. If you look at public opinion poll after public opinion poll, an overwhelming majority of people in the United States of America would say that they believe in God. Now, they may believe in God as they define Him, but they believe in God. And, and also, an overwhelming majority, we're not talking about 50%, we're talking about 80, 90% of the populace here, 
would actually affirm moral uprightness and goodness and affirm a pursuit of religious fervor. But yet, when we look at the fruit in our society, we recognize that there is a disconnect between what we agree with and what we affirm and how we live our lives. And so what it shows us is that there's a lot of choking of the seed going on. There's a lot of choking of the word going on. And it suppresses the growth. Now, although there may be varying levels, now you look at these three types of soils. When you look at these three types of hearts under the big category of many people receiving the word fruitlessly, there may be varying levels of receptivity. There may be varying levels of hostility towards the word represented in these three types of soils or these three types of hearts. But don't miss this this morning. Don't miss the fact that they all end up being fruitless in the end. So we see that according to Jesus, and don't miss this, brother or sister. So we see according to Jesus that even a half-hearted response is still an unworthy response. A half-hearted response to Jesus is a wholehearted rejection of Jesus. Did you hear that? A half-hearted response to Jesus is a wholehearted rejection of Jesus. Jesus doesn't want half. Jesus doesn't want partial. Jesus wants all or nothing. He wants your all. He wants your whole being, your whole heart. And he tells us here that many people receive the word fruitlessly. But then he's going to give us a contrast. We finally get to verse 8. And we see a second type of heart, a second category of heart. And there's really only one heart here. And it's this, few people receive the word fruitfully. Many people receive the word fruitlessly, many. And you encounter them on a daily basis. As we send people out, they're going to encounter them everywhere they go. But then few people are going to receive the word fruitfully. This makes me think about the Sermon on the Mount. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually gives us these statistics again. Now, we can say maybe Jesus wasn't an optimist. I just think Jesus was a realist. He knows the sinfulness of human beings. And in verse 13 of chapter 7 in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, here's what Jesus says. He challenges, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So when we read Matthew 7, and then we read Matthew 13, and we read the different types of hearts here, when we put those scriptures together, isn't it a fair summation to say that many people, and even most people we encounter, with whom we share the word, are going to receive it fruitlessly. There are very few who are going to receive it fruitfully. This is Jesus' statistics this morning. It's not mine. So it shouldn't surprise us that the word gets the reception that it gets when we're sharing it with our loved ones or our friends. Now, the few people who receive the word fruitfully, in verse 8, this is what he says. 
Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. These people who receive the word fruitfully, there's really only one type of heart here. They receive it from a receptive heart. They receive it from a receptive heart. The soil is good. And the reason that the soil is good is because the Holy Spirit of God has come into that heart and has done a lot of tilling. The Holy Spirit of God has come in and He's taken the rake and He's taken the tiller. He's taken the tractor of God and He has raked and cultivated and hoed that heart in such a way that when the seed falls on it, that that soil is so ripened, it's so fertilized, it's, so, it's been so turned for the good and for the positive, for the receptivity of the Word, that when the seed of the Word falls there, then what happens is the ultimate sower and the ultimate gardener of the universe comes in and breathes life on that soil and fruit simply grows. What we begin seeing is that the difference between the receptive hearts, the fruitful hearts, and the fruitless hearts is that the fruitful heart has been gardened, has been prepared and has been radically, supernaturally changed by God Himself. And the fruitless hearts have all been nurtured and tended by man or woman alone. And what Jesus starts showing us is that human faith, that human ingenuity, and human wisdom, and human effort will only get us so far. And in the end, leaves us fruitless before the God of the universe. But when God gets involved, not only is the soil good, but the ultimate gardener comes and makes it grow. I love the language here because in verse 23, he said, when explaining it, he says, For what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. I believe what the language is sharing with us there is that there's no way to count the growth. There's no way to measure it. There's no way to measure the fruit that comes from that life. And you can think, man, I want that life today. I want the life that Jesus talks about in John 15, where he talks a lot more about being fruitful. In John 15, 8, Jesus says this, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And in John 15, 16, he ends that by saying, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, or that your fruit should last. If you're a person today who desires that, let me put it in context for you because you're thinking, man, I want my life to look like that. I'm not sure that it does. Well, sometimes we're looking for such big things that we don't need to miss the small and the mundane. Here's what I really believe that Jesus is painting for us today. When the Holy Spirit changes our hearts and makes our hearts receptive towards the things of God, and we hear biblical truth and we want that and we agree with that, now, as we go through a life of dieting on the Word of God, 
whether that be in our own individual lives as we read it on a regular basis in our devotional lives, whether we study it together in our community groups or small group Bible studies, whether we're sharing it evangelistically with other people, or whether we're meeting here on a weekly basis, studying it together as the body of Christ. What God has given us are several different means by which we're going to consume the word on a regular basis. And what I believe that Jesus is showing, showing us here is that over the course of a lifetime, over the course of months, years, decades, a life, a steady saturation of the word, the seed of the word falling on a receptive heart where that soil has been tended by the Holy Spirit, there is just going to be fruit that just grows out of your life. You see, so often we're looking for something big and extraordinary. But I believe what the scriptures are showing us is that day in, day out, the way I respond, the way I don't respond, the things I say, the things I don't say, the things I pray, the things I long for, the things I share, the things I do in my life, the word is simply going to have its effect in your life. And Jesus says, that's the reason for which I called you. It's the reason for which I appointed you. And it's why in all of these different spheres and settings, you're to read and study the word. It's so that you may bear much fruit. So this morning, here's what we've seen. We have seen that Jesus pretty much divides the world into two big categories. Those who receive the word fruitlessly, but those who receive the word fruitfully. We can even simplify it uh, greater by saying he has divided all the world into those who believe and follow him as Lord and those who don't. It's that simple for Jesus. Now, in the midst of that, Jesus tells us about four different types of hearts. The fruitless hearts, basically three he shares with us. And the fruitful heart, there's basically one, the receptive. And so this morning, I want to ask a couple of questions in response. Number one, this, through introspection this morning, examine the state of your own heart. Through introspection, examine the state of your heart. In verse 9 of chapter 13, Jesus ends his parable by saying this, He who has ears, let him hear. In other words, pause, reflect this morning. What type of soil is your heart? Is your heart hardened towards the things of God? Are you pushing Him away? Are you suppressing the truth? Is your heart shallow this morning? Is it shallow? Is it, are you just trying to hold on to this so loosely and non-committal, but at moments notice you may bolt? Is your heart, is it divided? Are the cares of this world choking the seed of the word this morning? Are riches better? Is a relationship better? Is your marriage more desirable? Is sex more desirable? Is it money? What is it? What's choking the word this morning? Is your heart divided? Or... Are you a believer this morning 
who you know that the soil is receptive. You know that it's good soil. You may not be all that you want to be. And yes, you know that your life definitely has places of growth and some errors and some ways that need to grow. But even the awareness of that proves that you have a receptive heart this morning. What is your heart? Take stock this morning. Have ears to hear. So through introspection, examine the state of your heart. And if your heart is not good soil, then repent of that this morning and say, Father, by the power of your spirit, would you come and cultivate my heart so that it would be good soil? Then a second response this morning, not only through introspection, examine the state of your heart, also through obedience, expand the scope of your mission this morning. Expand the scope of your mission I talked at the beginning this morning about how God is so placed on my heart that we would be a sending church, a place from which to send for the cause of the gospel. And in that, I want to give us a challenge and an encouragement. Here's the challenge. In verse 3, Jesus says that a sower went out to sow. Now, who's the ultimate sower? His name is Jesus. And as he goes out to sow, he sowed. And seeds fell out or went out. And so in other words, Jesus was constantly, as he was living, just dispensing and throwing out seed left and right of the word. And so here's our challenge. As the people of God, we are now under sowers. We are now undersowers under Jesus. And so we constantly throw the seed out. And we are to throw that seed out liberally, generously, lavishly, just constantly throwing out the word as we go about our daily routine. We are now the agricultural tool God uses to spread his word. And so, yes, we send out our workers. Yes, we send out our mission teams. But this morning, we're also sending out an army of the faithful. And we're sending out other farmers this morning as well, each and every one of us. So just as the sower continually and diligently and generously spread the seed, we are to do the same in spreading the word of God as we go about our duties this week. That's our challenge. Now, here's our encouragement. I want you to be reminded today that in Jesus giving us these four different types of hearts, That he told us the math. He told us that far more people are not going to have good soil. Far more people are not going to be receptive than are going to be receptive. And so be encouraged as you leave today and get ready to be rejected. Be ready for it not to go well. Don't be surprised by that. Be sobered by it. Be grieved over it, but don't be surprised by it. You say, Chris, you don't know the people in my life. I bet I don't, but I bet I know what type of people they are. You're saying, Chris, you you don't know. Like I I have shared with my roommate. I, I have talked about this with my coworker. I have family members that we're constantly bringing this conversation up at the dinner table. And I'm getting ridiculed. I'm getting mocked. I'm beaten down for it. And you're telling me to be encouraged? I am telling you to be encouraged. Because God doesn't qualify where to drop the seed and where not. He just says, spread it. Spread the seed. 
spread the seed, be ready for it not to go well. Because even if we were to do simple math, Jesus is basically telling us that 75% of hearts aren't good soil. It doesn't work exactly that way, but you get my point. So be encouraged this morning. Be encouraged and continue to expand the scope of your mission. Because here's what I know. The more seed you drop, the greater the ability for it to fall on good soil. We don't know where, what the soil is on the inside. But we do have the seed. And we can drop it. We can spread it. And then we can trust the ultimate gardener to tend his field the way in which he sees fit. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This morning as we close, in thinking about those two questions of, uh, areas of response, thinking about your heart and thinking about your mission, maybe this would be the way we could pray this morning. For some of us, we need to first look at our heart. For other, others of us, we can be more focused on our mission. But as we sing and as we pray this morning, would you just there respond the way in which God would have you to respond? Look at your heart, pray for your mission, and allow God to work in your heart this morning in response to His Word. Father, we pray today that we would be a people who would take the seed of Your Word and we would be generous and lavish with it. And wherever we have opportunity, whether we're sitting at a dinner table, whether we're sitting in a lunchroom, whether we're sitting in a chair getting our hair cut, whether we're talking to our neighbor in our backyard, whether we're hanging out with friends and family, wherever we are this week, I pray that we would have opportunity to simply spread your word and that we would drop your seed and it would fall on hearts. And Lord, where the heart has been tilled and cultivated by you, I pray that that seed would fall on that good soil and you would come and you would breathe life on it and cause it to grow. And Father, where the, seed, where the soil may be hardened, or whether it may be shallow, or whether it may be divided, Lord, would you supernaturally come and work that heart and make it ready to receive your word. And Lord, wherever we are in this place this morning, I pray that you would till our hearts in such a way that your word would grow and produce fruit immeasurably for the sake of your name and your glory, not only here, but to wherever we send out workers. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.